בשם השם נעשה ונצליח, שיעור תורה. ברוכים הבאים, we are back here on our Wednesday night, stump the rabbi, ברוך השם, our longest standing series with uh, some uh, extraordinary information that I am sure will help every single person that will listen from beginning to end. Well, of course, in the beginning, we're going to discuss some things in the Torah, and then after that, you guys can just go with a, uh, questions after questions that Be'ezot Hashem HaKadosh Baruch will give us the answers. Tonight's show is for the Refuah Shlema and Atzlacha Raba for uh, Rav Ephraim Ben Shulamit, Rabbanit Sarah Bat Anat, uh, Rabbanit Levana Bat Sarah, Avi Mori David Ben Nesriya, Imi Morati Doris Bat Jora, and all of Am Yisrael and all the righteous Noahides that continue to learn Torah with us, publicize this Torah, and contribute uh, as much as they can to help us continue doing all the wonderful things that the organization is doing, Baruch Hashem. We have a bunch of major projects at hand right now, uh, some that are similar to others we've done in the past, some completely different and uh, innovative that Be'ezot Hashem will have a lot of success, so we need as much of your help as we possibly can get, uh, and Be'ezot Hashem will have a lot of atzlacha. So we have uh, just an update for everybody the, uh, that ordered the uh, books, the, uh, the new book that uh, is the first uh, book that our organization has, both in English and in Hebrew, uh, both in the same book, the hardcover uh, book for him and for her, uh, the special Sichot by Rabbi Ephraim and Rabbanit uh, Sarah. Uh, this, Baruch Hashem, is going uh, out like, uh, you know, like wildfire. It's almost like it's free. Well, actually, it is. <laughs> uh, so, Baruch Hashem, we've, uh, we've had a lot of orders uh, coming in faster than we could even imagine. And, uh, Baruch Hashem, so there's a little delay in uh, getting all of this uh, out there to you guys. But don't worry, everyone will get their books. We even had a, uh, a school uh, a school ask us to uh, send them a bunch of books, uh, Baruch Hashem, uh, just earlier today. And then we have, uh, you know, a... Uh, a bunch of other places that uh, want to publicize this book. Anyone that opens the book immediately falls in love uh, with not only uh, the words that are in it, but also the beautiful uh, uh, pictures and just the, uh, the whole work itself has uh, really been uh, impressive and is impressive for people. Uh, so, Baruch Hashem for that. Uh, anyone that wants to get a box of 20 books uh, for their uh, community to give them out to people, uh, in the Jewish communities, whether it's in the supermarkets, uh, the kosher supermarkets, or the Judaica stores, or the synagogues, or the kolel, yeshiva, wherever you want to put, give it, uh, you can go to the kiruvstore.org, K-I-R-U-V, store.org, and you can order yourself a box of that one. There are other books and USBs over there, uh, which, Baruch Hashem, are also uh, running low. Uh, as the uh, stock is uh, coming out faster than it's coming in. So uh, order yourself some stuff, and Bezot Hashem, get the extraordinary mitzvah uh, of helping Am Yisrael get closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You can also donate over there, uh, as well as donate on uh, many of the other places, whether it's uh, donate to us via YouTube or Facebook or our website, BezratHashem.org, uh, or if you want to do a Tikkun Abrit, uh, before the uh, Shovavim is over, uh, this is the time to do it. Uh, you go to tikkunabrit.live uh, and you can uh, do your, uh, yourself a favor and do as many tikkunim 
as uh, as you could afford. Uh, but again, this is uh, not only for the sake of uh, helping a person uh, fix their past, but also their present. And how could donating money help the present? This is part of one of the things that we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, as Parashat Truma is uh, famous for uh, teaching us about how to manage money. Because if you look at the Torah, uh, you see some unusual things that uh, perhaps can confuse you. And then you go to the sages, and they confuse you even more. So of course, we need the help of Shlomo HaMelech, and the Chovot HaLevavot, and the Ibn Ezra, and some of the other great sages in the Gemara, to give us a hand, to help us understand how to manage money. Where in the beginning of the parasha, parasha Truma, we see that HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, V'ikhu li Truma, which literally means, take for me a portion, like take for me a donation. Now, if you're speaking properly, then you would say, give me a donation, not take for me a donation. Now, of course, the sages teach that when you give for the sake of Torah, you're really taking because Hashem rewards you. But what can we do that most people, even some that actually give, don't really believe that? How do we know? Well, the sages pick it up a notch. In the Gemara and Masechet Brachot, the holy Jewish sages teach us one of the most profound ideas that testifies of whether a person truly believes in a Kadosh Baruch Hu or not. Which is, the Gemara says, if you see your financials dwindling, your bank account goes lower. You had a savings account, you had a stock portfolio, Bitcoin, whatever you had, you invested in some stock that went up 50% and then it went down 50%. Your financials have gone down. You see your financials go down. Give more donations. Wait, hold on a second. Logically, mathematically, scientifically, and any other Lee, this doesn't make any sense. On one hand, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, take for me a donation, not give me a donation. Then the sages confuse us even more and take, tell us, you're losing money. You're having some troubles with your finances where your bank account is starting to make you worried. Give some more donations. Wait, don't you mean maybe collect donations? Perhaps uh, you didn't get to that bad situation, but uh, you don't need to collect donations, but certainly... Giving donations, wouldn't that make the bank account go even lower? I was just complaining that the bank account was struggling. The bank account is almost on life support. You're telling me to give more? Isn't that the opposite? Ah. Here the Holy Torah is here to teach us. It's here to teach us, Rabotai Karim. It's here to teach us. Now, of course, the Holy Torah teaches us other things in this parasha teaches other things we have the menorah that we're introduced to 
the holy menorah, the beautiful menorah, where the Chachamim have a machloket on how it looked, whether it was based on Rashi or the Rambam, whether it was standing on three legs or it had a box-like bottom, which is what Onkolo said, it had a box-like bottom. Now don't worry yourself too much. Many Chachamim say it was both. How could it be both? Because anyone that followed the extraordinary series of, uh, or the book, follow, read the book by Rav Meir Eliyahu, Sheikhye, about the clay Mikdash, the, uh, the different tools of the Bet Mikdash, and the, uh, the historical and archaeological findings and discoveries, and a lot of uh, different uh, conspiracies involved in all of it, uh, would have learned that many of the Chachamim actually say that there were multiple menorot meaning that there wasn't just one menorah there were multiple replicas made at the time of the Bet Mikdash, and therefore it could have very well been both cases in fact one of the things that shows that there is a uh, uh, one opinion is an archaeological proof that you can see in, uh, in in Italy over there, they still have it on the wall. When after they destroyed the Bet Hamikdash, Machshimam, they uh, they actually uh, they celebrated by making monuments, and on the monument they have a in essence uh, sculptures types of uh, um, art showing the Jewish people carrying the menorah, and the menorah is in essence agreeing with the shape of uh, the box-like shape. But in other places, we see that it's the other. So not to worry, both could be right. Both most likely are right, meaning that since there were multiple menorot, uh, then uh, you could have actually seen uh, uh, both of them in the Bet HaMikdash. But we learn about this menorah. We learn about all of the different tools of the Mishkan, which was the Bet HaMikdash of the desert, Really, it's the holiest of all three. It's the only one that did not get destroyed as the Gemara in Masechet Yoma teaches us that after they stopped using it, it was uh, uh, buried and hidden. And uh, when Mashiach comes, it will be uh, uh, unveiled whether it will be used again or not. I don't think so because we'll have the third Bet HaMikdash, but certainly some of the things that uh, we will see at that time will be extraordinary. And uh, we learn all of these wonderful things, but in between, in between the lines, and especially if we start reviewing some of the details of the previous weeks, we discover perhaps an unknown God. Why do I say an unknown God? Because it's the God of money that many people don't believe in. Now, you would say in today's world when every second YouTuber tells you that he has become a millionaire by making some type of application or some type of self-help uh, 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 program or, 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 or whatever they're doing in investments in real estate, everyone's a millionaire. Everyone is just literally so focused on chasing money that they've turned the saying 
on the dollar bill and God we trust into pretty much thinking that the dollar is God. But that's not the God of money that I'm talking about. Many people believe in money. Many people have turned money into God. But perhaps it's time that they learn more about the God of money. Because once a person learns it, they can no longer allow themselves to believe in anything that opposes this God of money. Now in the parasha, parasha Truma, HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells Moshe Rabbeinu in chapter 27, in verse number 8, that everything that he's telling him to do, whether it's the menorah, the, the table, the mizbeach, all of the different mitzvot, he says, As you were shown on the mountain, so shall they do. Meaning, Hashem not only told him about these mitzvot, he showed him what they look like. And he says this multiple times, also in chapter 26, verse number 30, as you will have been shown on the mountain. So we see multiple times that Akadosh Baruch Hu knew his creation and knew that sometimes we need to see proof. We need to see proof of concept. We need to see that what you mean in order to do what you want us to do. Now, if we go a little back, we track back a couple of parashot we'll see that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was not kidding when he told us about the mitzvot and about the avirot where in Matan Torah when we receive the Torah at Mount Sinai in Parashat Yitro, in chapter 20 Verse number 20, easy to remember. He says, Lota Suniti Eloe Kesev Eloe Zahav Lota Sulachim. Hashem says, You shall not make with me gods of money, gods of gold, shall you not make for yourselves. HaKadosh Baruch Hu warns us as part of Matan Torah, as part of giving us the Torah not to turn money into God. No. Not to turn gold into God. Not to go to a foreign God. So how could we say that there is a God of money? Hashem says, don't make money into God. Don't make gold into God. Don't follow that mentality of society that has abandoned their creator 
and has worshipped its creation. After HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells us don't turn money into God, he clarifies what he means. In the next parasha, Parashat Mishpatim, where he starts telling us about money management, business management, ethical management in business and money. In one of the mitzvot, in chapter 22, verse number 24, Parashat Mishpatim, he says, In kesef talvet ami, et ani imach, lo tiye lo kenose, kenoshe lo tesimun alav neshech. When you lend money to my people, Let's just say you happen to have a few extra millions, a few extra dollars, whatever you have, and you don't feel like going back to the construction business to make another few million. You don't feel like going back into the heavy-duty business that made you the money. You want to make easy money. Easiest money in the world is lending people money. You want to lend people money, they're going to do whatever they need to do with the money. And along the way, they're going to pay you interest. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, when you lend money to people, he's not telling you not to lend. He's not telling you not to lend. Hashem never says don't lend. You're not going to find a single place in the Torah where HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, you're not allowed to lend. In fact, it's a mitzvah to lend. How about that? But... You have to read the terms and conditions of lending. What's the terms and conditions? When you lend money to my people, to the poor person who is with you, it doesn't literally mean someone that's poor and is begging in the streets, waiting for somebody to give him a dollar. In essence, he's talking about anyone that's in need. It could even be a multi, uh, you know, multi-million dollar business that just simply does not have liquidity and needs liquidity in order to survive it could be someone that's looking to expand their business it could be somebody that needs to pay their mortgage whatever it is someone in need when you lend money to my people when you lend money to am israel to the poor person who is with you do not act towards him like a creditor do not lay interest upon him. That's the terms and conditions. You have money. How do you have money? You say, I worked. I had a store. I was providing good customer service. I woke up at 6 o'clock in the morning. I got home at 10 o'clock at night. I worked like a dog for many years. And I saved and I was frugal. And I made a few good deals. And I got myself a nice chump of change. And now I, I don't want to work so hard anymore. I want to make some easy money. Akadosh Baruch Hu says you want to lend some money because you have extra money. Fine. It's a mitzvah to do it. But it's not a money-making opportunity. Why? When you have a fellow Jew in your community, in your circle, that's in need of money, he needs to borrow money. 
Sure, you should lend him the money. It's even better to lend him money than to give him tzedakah, because he'll still maintain his honor. But it is certainly not a money-making opportunity. Why? You're not allowed to charge him interest. Wait, hold on a second. You're telling me I worked all of these years, I got myself some extra money, now I want to lend money so I can make money. Good, but you can't make money. Only half of your equation is good. You can lend the money because there's certainly people that need, but you're not going to make money out of it. Why? You're not allowed. A Jew that lends another Jew money, assuming both of them are Torah observant, lends another Jew money. If he charges him interest, he loses Olamaba. Both of them get punished. The lender and the borrower get punished. And if there's a broker between them, he also gets the punishment. They won't be resurrected with the dead. The punishment is severe as severe gets. So you, my dear friend, that thought, wait a minute, I'm going to make some easy money by lending my money out. You're sadly mistaken. Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu clearly says, do not charge him interest. Now you're allowed to take collateral, but don't put your uh, don't put your so-called customer, which is really your fellow Jew, in an uncomfortable position where he has he's missing things that he needs to survive just because he needs to provide you collateral. Now, here we see that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has a very different perspective of money than we have in society. Very different perspective. Why? Because many people are in the lending business. And they're relying on the fact, saying, okay, fine, we can't lend money to the Jew and charge him interest, so we're going to go and charge interest of the non-Jews. Shlomo HaMelech banned charging non-Jews interest. And in fact, as we've said in previous years, and previous shiurim, some of Chachmei Yisrael, some of Gedolei Adol, said that it is a wicked act that creates anti-Semitism to charge interest of non-Jews that are otherwise helping you by allowing you to live in, in their land. And anyone that wants to know some of the history and some of the other laws relating to it can go to my shurim about cash advance and the lending money, which is not what we're going to talk about tonight. What we're going to talk about is really the God of money. When we see HaKadosh Baruch Hu first tells us, don't make money into God. And then he tells us in Parashat Mishpatim, if you already have money, you have to know how to manage it. And if you think that you can manage it by doing things that are against HaKadosh Baruch Hu, going into corrupt businesses like lending money with interest, or all types of illegal businesses, destructive businesses, predatory businesses, you're sadly mistaken. 
HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells us here that yes, he gave you money. As the Gemara in Masechet Rosh Hashanah and Masechet Beitzah both tell us that he decides on Rosh Hashanah how much money each and every single one of us is going to get for that year. So he gave you money this year and last year and the year before and all the years that you've lived, he gave you different amounts of money. But you now need to know how to manage it. You can't just decide to go against the God that gave you the money. And therefore, we need to understand who is the God of money. Parashatitro told us don't go after the money to the point where you turn it into God. Parashat Mishpatim told us don't go and use that money that Hashem gave you and turn it into God by violating the Torah. Parashat Truma tells us about the Mishkan. How is that going to help us about money? The first starts where Kadosh Buhu says, take from me a donation. How is, how is this going to help me? Look at what happens after Hashem says, we got some donors. We got some donors. Am Israel, each one gives whatever his heart desires. Give whatever, you have free choice when it comes to money. Give whatever your heart desires. But don't think that I'm not watching. When we get the menorah, oh, we have some technical difficulties here. When we get to the menorah, after we've gotten this money, we got the donations. Now Moshe Rabbeinu can go out there and get some gold, start putting some things together that HaKadosh Baruch Hu told him we has to do. The menorah is one of them. And the details of the menorah are extraordinary. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Moshe Rabbeinu, make me a menorah like a world expert designer. It has to have these flowers and these buttons, kaftorim, and these specific knobs and decorative cups and branches. And it has to have designs on them. Oh, and by the way, it's about three and a half tons of gold. And all of the gold has to be a single piece. Meaning you have to take a huge amount of gold, melt it all together into one big piece, and now mold it into like people do with clay, into this menorah. hammer it out 
and make this giant piece of three tons worth of gold into the most beautiful menorah the world has ever seen from a single piece Moshe Rabbeinu wants to do the will of Hashem that's why he's there but he tells Hashem I can't do it I have no I don't even know what you how to do what you want me to do I don't even know what it will look like Sakadosh Baruch says no problem I'll show you and he shows him an image of the menorah now Moshe Rabbeinu is even scared more scared he says Hashem that for sure I can't do I don't have the skills to make these these knobs and these flowers and these cups I have no idea how to do this Hashem says no worries Moshe you got the gold get the gold put it all together throw it in the fire I'll take care of the rest Moshe Rabbeinu gets the gold that people donated puts it into the fire and lo and behold HaKadosh Baruch Hu shows him how this gold transformed into the most beautiful menorah you could possibly imagine but he says Moshe you did it now between you and I Moshe didn't do it the Torah itself says Moshe didn't do it but HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't lie he says Moshe you did it how come Moshe Rabbeinu he says why is Hashem why why is Hashem why is Hashem saying this says HaKadosh Baruch Hu says HaKadosh Baruch Hu don't turn money into God don't go into businesses that take the money that I gave you and make you look like you've turned money into God even if you say you have it you want to know how to treat money look at my dear Moshe Rabbeinu what did Moshe Rabbeinu do he put the gold in there who gave him the gold Am Yisrael gave him the gold he had some gold everybody put some gold together but who gave them the gold I gave them the gold and then they took part of the gold that I gave them and they said okay we're gonna give a piece we're gonna give a piece for the sake of the mitzvot then Moshe Rabbeinu just pushes this giant piece of gold into the fire what a fire it was then I made into a menorah but since Moshe Rabbeinu was the messenger that desired to do the will of Hashem you know what I said he did it and that's how you know that Moshe Rabbeinu was the ultimate leader in every aspect even in teaching us how to manage money where Moshe Rabbeinu here is teaching us if you understand what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is trying to tell us here you'll understand how to manage money if you think that your idea that your talent that your job that your customer that your fortune that your simply good deeds are what made you money you my dear friend 
have turned different things into the God of money. But if you understand that HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells us, that the Chachamim are very careful to specify, is in essence HaKadosh Baruch Hu telling us, He is the God of money. He is the God of money. There is no other God. He is the God of money. And the Chachamim teach us very carefully and precisely that HaKadosh Baruch Hu cannot ever, cannot ever be described as one who is receiving anything from us because everything is His. The entire world belongs to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And therefore, the Chachamim say, Vayikhuli Tuma is in essence, you're bringing an offering, you're bringing a donation in front of me, not to me. So why does it to me? Because when you are using the gift that I gave you, the money that I gave you, the salvation that I gave you, in order to make more mitzvot, in order to sanctify my name, in order to publicize my name and my Torah, that means that you believe in me, not only as a God that created the heaven and the earth, not only as the God that can help you when you have no other choice, but you also believe in me to the point where you know that I am the God of money, where you know that Moshe Rabbeinu, all he did is show that he wants to do the will of Hashem. And therefore Hashem says, you show that you want to do the will of Hashem, I'll do everything. You show that you want to do something in business, you want to go make a sale, you want to go build a company, you want to go make money, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, no problem. I'll make the money. I'll send you the customer. I'll make the idea that you had work out. I'll give you the idea. I'll give you the money that will transfer into your account. I'll do everything. You just show that you want to do something. And I'll actually do it. Now, how do you know that a person believes that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the one and only God, including the God of money? When you take the money that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave you and you realize HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave me 100% of my money, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave me 100% of my house, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave me 100% of my life, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave me 100% of my wife, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave me 100% of my kids, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave me 100% of everything that I have. When am I, when I'm giving 10%, of the money that I have, the income that I'm getting to publicize his name, I'm not giving him anything. Everything is his. He's the one that gave me. All I'm doing is I'm taking 10% of the 100% that he gave me and showing him, I know you gave it to me. And I want other people to know that you gave it to me. And in fact, I want other people to know 
that you give it to them too. I want other people to know that you are the God of money. I want other people to know that you are the God that gives us everything. So I'm going to take money that you gave me and use it to go and publicize your name so more people can know the same beautiful lesson that I know that I learned from Moshe Rabenu. Trying to do the will of Hashem by putting this menorah together, but admitting that he simply cannot. And then Akadosh Bukhu says, I know you can't, but I wanted to teach you a lesson that everything you do, in reality, I did it. But I'm going to put it in your name. Why? You had the willpower to do it. You wanted to do it. So I'll put your name on it. The question is, what do you want to do? Is your will the will of Hashem? Or is your will the will of a different God? Perhaps you've turned yourself into God. When a person has a clear understanding of who, of who is the God that runs the world, they don't have a problem to use the money that this God gives them, the one and only God of Israel gives them, and use it to publicize Torah. And they don't have a problem in making the right choice of where is the best place to publicize Torah. They're not going to choose it based on what's most convenient. They're not going to choose it based on what's best for their reputation. They're not going to choose it on where they get the best deal or notoriety. They're going to choose it based on where is Hashem's name going to be publicized most? Now, on the other hand, the vast majority of society that is chasing their tail shows an image that they're succeeding in acquiring assets and money despite the fact that they don't believe that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the God of money. They believe that their skills are the God of money. Their customers are the God of money. Their product is the God of money. The combination thereof is the God of money. And it looks like they're succeeding. They have cars and houses. Famous. It looks like they're winning. Says Shlomo HaMelech, the wisest man of all, says Shlomo HaMelech. In Sefer Mishle, the book of Proverbs, chapter 1. Easy to find. You open the book of Proverbs, you're going to find treasure. Question is, what you're going to do with it? Says Shlomo HaMelech. There are certain people who hate knowledge. What kind of knowledge? Knowledge of Hashem. In chapter 1, verse 29 and on, Shlomo HaMelech says, they hated knowledge and did not choose fear of Hashem. They did not desire my counsel. They spurned all of my rebuke. 
Shlomo Amalek says, I tried telling them that there's only one God and He's also the God of money. He's also the God of your heart. He's also the God of your disease. He's also the God of your fortune. He's also the God of your bankruptcy. He's also the God of everything that you could possibly want. He is the one and only. But they didn't want to hear it. They said, nah, come on, no. I can do whatever I want. Leave me alone. I don't want to hear this type of stuff. I don't want to hear about a God that punishes. I'll pray to him when I need something. They hated knowledge. They don't want to fear Hashem. They don't want to fear punishment. They just want a Santa Claus. And therefore they hated. They hated the truth. They hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of Hashem. They did not desire my counsel. They spurned all of my rebuke. What will happen with these people? Says Shlomo Amalek in verse 31. They will eat of the fruit of their way and they will be sated with their own schemes. What? What do you mean? You just said they hated knowledge. They hated the truth. And they're going to actually be sated? They're going to have Ferraris? They're going to have big houses? They're going to succeed? So why would they ever change? Patience. For their waywardness of the simpletons will kill them. And the contentment of the fools will destroy them. You have to understand. Akadosh Baruch Hu has a lot of patience. If you want to be wicked and you want to turn your so-called talent, ideas, ideology, or whatever you think is really bringing you the fortune, if you want to turn that into the God of money, instead of the holy God that we have that gave us the Torah, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will sometimes allow you to succeed in extraordinary ways. But don't think for a moment that that's a reward. It's the opposite. It's the opposite. But you're going to think that you're succeeding in your way because you're a fool. And therefore, Shlomo HaMelech says, the contentment of fools will destroy them. Why? Because the wicked people that are not following the ways of God will think that they're succeeding because of their houses, their bank accounts, and all of the other things that they find valuable. They will think that they're succeeding and therefore they'll continue to act wicked. Not realizing that it's only a matter of time that this success will lead to their ruin. Because they'll become content in their ways. These fools that are going against God will be content in their ways. So they won't want to change. And that will ultimately lead to their destruction. And thereby the Ibn Ezra says in the name of the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 12 verse 1 where he says why does the way of the wicked prosper and why are all betrayers tranquil? Shlomo HaMelech is explaining here says the Ibn Azra that since HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the one and only God is patient and does not immediately punish 
even someone that's a persistent wicked person someone that's a really an outright evil person you won't punish him right away his patience he'll even allow these people to assume that they can continue sinning they can continue sinning with no end in sight to the extent where Shlomo Melch says in Ecclesiastes chapter 8 verse 11 the, the heart of man is full of evil because he's convinced that everything happens by chance but this is the punishment of those that chose evil where HaKadosh Bahu will eventually bring the divine retribution and ultimately the sinners says the Ibn Ezra will go to Gehenna will suffer sufferings beyond their wildest imagination because they wait why don't he give him another message to change he did he does but they don't want to listen because they're convinced that since they've succeeded thus far where they were able to buy a house that cost more than people make in a lifetime they were able to buy a car that people could only see in a magazine or a poster they were able to build a company that you could only touch if it's on the screen of your computer they achieved such extraordinary success how can it be that God is not happy with them perhaps he doesn't really care if I keep Shabbat perhaps he doesn't care if I eat kosher perhaps it's enough that I just give some donations to different random people or organizations that say they do good and that's enough good as long as I don't kill people or at least get caught for it I'm a good person perhaps the Torah is no longer relevant who gave all of us a choice we got the choice of Mount Sinai and we've been given a choice each time we've been reincarnated and brought back to this life after we've made the wrong choice after serving some time in Kafakela or Gehenna or both and eventually had the merit to be given another chance to fix something because apparently we did enough good of the Torah good according to the Torah that we earned ourselves another chance but if somebody doesn't take that chance and take advantage of it and in fact they do the opposite they think that since they have money since people listen to what they say since it looks like they're winning they can continue going against God without having any concern about punishment HaKadosh Baruch Hu says that contentment of a fool will lead to his ultimate destruction he thought that just because I gave him money that meant that I was agreeing with his wickedness he doesn't realize that I gave him money in order to give him a chance to publicize my name and thereby fix all of the mistakes that he has made in his life in this life and the last one I gave him a fortune because I wanted to give him a tool to be able to fix himself and without giving him a fortune he simply could not you see 
A person could live the life of Torah, do mitzvot, learn some Torah, eat kosher, but if he has an extraordinary bill of sins, such as making people sin, such as immorality, idolatry, stealing money, corrupt business, his traditional observance of the Torah and the mitzvot of learning some Torah and doing mitzvot and kosher and, and, and celebrating the holidays is not enough to fix the mistakes. So HaKadosh Baruch says, I'm not going to put you in this world if you can't succeed in actually completing your tikkun. So what would I do? I'm going to give you the tools, the tools you need to complete your tikkun. Some people need an extraordinary mind so they can learn Torah at the highest level, so they can teach Torah at the highest level, so they can help people get closer to Hashem. So Hashem gives them that mind. Some people are given extraordinary skills with their hands so they could write Sifre Torah, so they could do mitzvot with their hands. Some people are given an extraordinary speaking ability so they could publicize Hashem's name. Some people are given abilities in completely different fields that are beyond the norm in order for them to be able to succeed in a natural way without depending on some lotto or finding a treasure. So that way HaKadosh Baruch Hu can give them a lot of money so they can use that money to publicize HaKadosh Baruch Hu's name so they could complete their tikkun. But what can we do that people think, oh, he gave me money because I'm a nice guy. No, he didn't give you money because you're a nice guy. He gave you money because you needed to complete your tikkun. He gave you money so you could actually get to heaven not build yourself an imaginary heaven in this temporary world. And Shlomo HaMelech is telling us, if you think that there's any other God, aside from the God of Israel, you're sadly mistaken. And the price is dearer than you can possibly imagine. In order to put everything into a perspective, of what Shlomo has said, what the Ibn Ezra said, what Moshe Rabbeinu showed us, what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wrote for us. We go back a thousand years to our dear Rav, the Chovot HaLevavot. And in chapter 9, in a section called Shar Avodat Elohim, the Chovot HaLevavot tells us a story. A story. A story that puts everything we've learned into perspective. He says that there was once a people on an island, a very wealthy island, full of jewels and diamonds and gold and all types of things. But these people were strange people, and they had strange laws. And they decided that they're going to have a new king every year. How do they choose a king? They're going to bring an outsider. They're going to bring an outsider to be the king over them for a full year. Let him do what he wants to do. But after a year, they kick him off the island and he cannot take anything with him. 
Now, of course, they didn't disclose this to the king. They went out and they got some guy that was a fool. And he was happy to be king in this island. Wow, very nice. That's a nice job. How much you pay me? As much as you want. And this guy, wow, this is great. I want a castle. They built him a castle. I want the castle to be full of diamonds and gold and silver and all types of extraordinary paintings and statues and done. This place is great. I'm going to bring my family here. He has to go bring my family and in fact tell my family to bring everything I have over there. And he brought his family and everything that he had. And he keeps telling him, okay, I want another castle. And I want to a golf course. And I want a fancy car. And I want a, all types of things. And I want to build a zoo in my backyard. And I want to have every watch over $100,000. And I want to have a very, very established investment account just for entertainment. And I want to have servants that will do everything for me. will put my shoes on, will brush my hair, will even help me when I'm in the, door, the, the room without a mezuzah. And he was having a good time, this fool. But after the year was done, he's woken up abruptly in the morning and the people that were his servants just the day before and for the past year grab him and his family, put them all on a boat with a one-way ticket out of here. The fool is as miserable as can be. Not only is he no longer the king, full of jewels and gold and paintings and everything he could possibly desire, but he's now even worse off than he was before he got this gig. Because he brought everything he had into this to build a house over there in this temporary place. But of course, these people on this island with strange beliefs and rules had to replace the king. So they found another one. But this time, it was a wise man. And this wise man that was given this job was happy about it. And he was only a little bit, you know, sad in the beginning because he wasn't sure, like, when am I going to go home? Like, no, no, don't worry. You can do whatever you want. Oh, I can build things here? Build. I can buy things here? Buy. Oh, it's interesting. Well, I'm going to need, I'm going to have any limitation? No limitation. I can build an empire. Sure. Go ahead and do it. Bridges, tunnels, whatever you want. Sky is the limit. Well, this empire is going to need, I need some help. So, he said, I need somebody that's not only smart, but I need somebody that knows the land. He knows the people, because I don't know them. I don't know these people. So he hires one of the people from the island. One of the wise men among the people over there. And he says, you are my mean guy. I want you to help me. Get to know the people. Get to know the culture. Get to know the rules. 
He says, sure. Your wish is my command. So, so tell me about them. Who are they? What are they? And eventually through conversation, he tells him, well, what about the kings? Where was the last king? He says, well, the last king was kicked out. Why? Well, that's the rule. What rule? Every year they change a king. They give a king everything he wants, but after the year is done, they kick him out with nothing to show for it. That's the rule of the land. As soon as the wise new king heard this, he was saddened at first because he realized that whatever he builds there is temporary. So he realized, okay, I can't, this is not forever, but fine, I can work with this. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start taking some stuff that I have here that I can get here and put it in the life I'm going to go to, my old home. I'm not going to bring everybody here. I'm going to bring stuff there. He says, I want some diamonds. He got some diamonds. I want some gold. He got some gold. I want all types of things. And every time he got some stuff, he'd ship it back home. Now, on one end, he was a little bit having a difficult time just because he couldn't really enjoy himself while he's there because he's constantly worrying about sending stuff to the real house the permanent house so he couldn't really enjoy it but the same token the one thing that gave him salvation was the knowledge that eventually he's gonna get there and each day he worked on trying to find whatever treasure he could to send it back home and after a year was done the law of the land was implemented and he was kicked out of the land just like every other king before him but instead of being sad that he's leaving a place where he was able to have pretty much anything that he wanted although temporarily he was much happier because now he was going to a place where he could finally enjoy all of the hard work that he did in the temporary world. The Chovot Levavot says, the fool and the wise man could be you, could be me. The choice is ours. It all depends on who you believe runs the world which includes your bank account which includes your health which includes your time which includes your life if you believe that it's not a kadosh Hu, then you've decided to be the fool if you realize that it is a kadosh Hu, then you'll understand now why the sages told us when one sees his finances dwindling, go give more tzedakah, more donations. Because everything is his. The reason why you would give more is not because he needs it. It's already his. The reason why you would give more tzedakah is to show him that despite the fact that he has decided to lower your finances, you are still 
100% certain that everything is from him and therefore you still want to publicize his name just as much as you did when you had more. When the customer comes, you know he sent it. When the product sells, you know he sells it. When you succeed or fail, you know he decided. The only decision that's in your hand is whether you will serve him by publicizing his name throughout the whole process. If you want to show HaKadosh Baruch Hu that you believe in him, it all starts with understanding that he is the God of money and not turning money into God. With that being said, Be'ezal Hashem, you will all have some questions that I'm sure you've gathered over the last week since our last year, and Be'ezal Hashem HaKadosh Baruch Hu will give us the answers. TikTok, you guys could ask some questions also. What does it mean when Shlomo HaMelech said, despise gifts? And was he a prophet? So Shlomo HaMelech, saying that a person that uh, hates gifts, it's interpreted in a couple of ways. The Gemara says in the Masechet uh, Sanhedrin that there were women that would walk around immodestly and uh, in order to get the attention of people, in order to get a, uh, let's just call it in today's terms, a sugar daddy. Uh, so, he, so the Gemara says that when people, uh, when people loved gifts, then it created more death because you know, they, they wanted money, they wanted more gifts, and therefore they were willing to act immorally as a result. And therefore the one that hates gifts desires life. That's one of the uh, things that the Gemara teaches. The second thing is also understanding that when a person knows that everything comes from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, everything comes from Hashem, they don't necessarily want anything from, uh, from anybody. They're not going to beg anybody to help them. They're not going to uh, plead with anybody to join them. They're simply going to do the will of Hashem and let Hashem decide what, uh, what to uh, send them. They'll do uh, what they say they're going to do. They, uh, they follow the will of Hashem. They, if, if, they, uh, if they have a certain job, they obviously do the job that they're supposed to do. If uh, they don't have a job, they you know, use whatever effort they have or ishtadlut that they have to try to find a job. And, and the point is, is that they don't go above and beyond uh, the normal uh, uh, effort that's necessary to live in this world. You know, they're not going to beg anybody or break any rules or, or, uh, or violate the Torah just for the sake of getting gifts or getting money or getting notoriety or anything like that. They're, they're always going to think of what is, uh, you know, what does the Torah allow me to do? What does the Torah forbid me to do before they take any particular action? Even if that means that they're not going to get the gifts. Why? Because they're not desiring gifts. They're desiring life. And life means they're desiring eternity by following the Torah. Uh, as far as the uh, uh, prophet, uh, to my knowledge, uh, uh, Shlomo Melech was not a prophet. He had Ruch HaKodesh, but, uh, but he, was not a, he didn't give, uh, uh, he's not one of the 48 prophets 
that uh, are noted in Gemara uh, Masechet Megillah that's mentioned in the Tanakh, or 55 prophets, but seven of them were women. Uh, he certainly had Ruach HaKodesh, uh, and, uh, but the father of all Ruach HaKodesh was his father, David HaMelech. Uh, and uh, David HaMelech did not have prophecy. Uh, that's why he had to go to Shmuel. Shmuel was the prophet. So if David didn't have prophecy, needless to say, his son Shlomo did not have prophecy. Is an elderly man who uses diapers allowed to wear tzitzit? Uh, as long as the, uh, the diaper is uh, clean, meaning as long as he does not have fecal matter in the diaper and there's not a uh, terrible stench uh, coming from him, he could act normally, he could even put on tefillin. Uh, but, uh, but if he has a, a horrible smell on him and he uh, refuses to clean himself and so on, then it's uh, better not to. Uh, you know, but uh, with, with tefillin. With tzitzit, on the other hand, he's allowed to wear tzitzit, uh, and as soon as uh, he needs to change, then he would change. It's a, uh, tzitzit does not have the same level of sanctity as tefillin do. And he doesn't necessarily need to be able to change himself, at least if he has somebody to help him, some nurse or something like that that could help him. How can you help a Jew a secular Jew who got brainwashed to believe in the Christian religion. Uh, well, I have, uh, you know, different lectures that I've made over the years uh, about uh, the falsehood of Christianity in the New Testament, uh, you know, in uh, anything that has to do with the New Testament, regardless of which religion uh, it is, whether it's called uh, Christianity or Catholicism or uh, Messianic Judaism or Jews for Jesus. These are all different versions of Christianity. Uh, and uh, we showed that the main document that they all rely on is the New Testament. And the New Testament is full of man-made errors that are uh, inexcusable, that show that it's a false document. It's not a divine document. It contradicts the Torah, which is a, uh, uh, agreed upon by all three major religions, you know, Judaism and uh, Christianity and, uh, and Islam, even though the other two are false, still everyone agrees that the Torah is real because everyone relies on the Torah. Uh, it's obvious that the Jews rely on the Torah, but also Christianity and Islam rely on the Torah as the original book that they say uh, you know, had a second version later on, which is their books, the Quran and the New Testament. So everyone agrees that the Torah is the truth, and which means that if you're saying that the Torah is true, and you're a continuation, that means that your book has to agree with the truth. So when you see that in countless places, the, uh, the New Testament has contradictions of the Torah, uh, you know, and, 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 and things that are literally wrong, that a five-year-old would notice, then you realize this is certainly not a continuation of the Torah, but rather is antithetical to the Torah. And that's why, according to Allah, the Christianity is considered 100% idol worship. Now, I have a whole uh, 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 series of lectures about this. Rabbi Ephraim has uh, you know, a whole series of lectures about this topic. Uh, so anybody that wants to watch uh, those lectures and be enlightened to see uh, the truth about uh, Christianity, which is that it's falsehood, uh, you know, and then realize that there's only one truth, uh, which is the Torah, 
and what the Torah says, and not what uh, the uh, the Christians say about the Torah, but rather what the Jews say about the Torah, uh, both the written Torah and the oral Torah, uh, then once they do it, they'll certainly transform their life. Uh, whether it'll lead them to convert to Judaism or simply be righteous Noahides, which by definition is every Gentile is considered by default a Noahide. Question is whether they'll be righteous or not. To be a righteous Noahide, they have to follow the Noahide laws that are uh, detailed in the Torah. Uh, to be a wicked Noahide, they simply ignore those rules and they live, you know, a, a life uh, full of idolatry or heresy or anything else that uh, these other religions have. But the point being is that anybody that wants to know the truth, we have le- lectures in Hebrew and English, and uh, some of them were even uh, uh, translated to Spanish, Portuguese, and other languages. So, Baruch Hashem, the information is available for those that are really seeking the truth. I heard a rabbi say that the meat chicken today is really non-kosher, even if it has certification. Uh, Because the animals in the slaughter facility are maltreated. Is this true? Are Sfaladim allowed to eat Bet Yosef meat? Uh, certainly, there. Uh, if the uh, if someone is uh, if the, someone has a uh, a kashrut that is relied upon by Gdolei Israel, uh, that is a reliable kashrut, there's uh, it's forbidden to say that their uh, their meat is uh, not kosher. Uh, you know, whether by a rabbi or by anybody else, anyone that thinks that there is no kosher meat or chicken available out there uh, is simply mistaken and is actually saying a shemra on uh, on otherwise kosher Jews, uh, which they'll have to be punished for, even if they're a rabbi or whoever they are. Uh, you can't just say and conclude that everyone that's in the uh, kosher business is wicked, uh, you know, for, for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, you don't know that. Even if you saw yourself that there's one or two or five different places that uh, do bad things, whether they sell you non-kosher meat or whatever it is that they saw them do on, uh, that does not mean that everybody's like that. Uh, number two, uh, it's, a, uh, it, it, it's simply putting a doubt in people's mind unnecessarily uh, that uh, no one can live with, meaning that if you don't rely uh, on the kashrut of the meat, that means you can't rely on a kashrut of anything. And therefore, the only thing that you could eat is fruits and vegetables uh, that, uh, that you actually clean and take care of uh, and you can't pretty much eat anything else because you can't tell me that the rabbis in the kashrut of the meat are not reliable, but yet the rabbis are the kashrut of the chocolate, of the milk, of the, uh, you know, the other uh, products that uh, people buy in a supermarket to make their soup, to make their seasonings, to make everything else, but they're reliable. How do you know that that, uh, that uh, reddish type of uh, 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 ingredient that's, uh, that you're buying uh, to put some seasoning, how do you know that's really a seasoning that comes from a plant and it's not really a seasoning that comes from beetles? You don't know because they look the same. How do you know that the, uh, the soup mix that you're getting is really all seasonings that are made of certain chemicals and uh, vegetables, and they're not actually putting 
uh, other, uh, other things that are not kosher in it. You don't know. The reality is that a person cannot say that they could uh, rely on a kashrut of, uh, of, 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 of candy, of uh, pretty much every other product that you buy, uh, you know, to, to, to cereal even. Uh, you, you, don't rely, you rely on that kashrut, but you don't rely on kashrut that says it's Bet Yosef, that says it's glut, that says it's kosher by a reliable institution. Simply, it's, it's, not, it's not a realistic uh, um, understanding of the magnitude of such a statement. And, uh, and quite frankly, it's a foolish statement. Uh, so, uh, again, if something has a sticker on it that says it's kosher, it doesn't necessarily mean that you should rely and put your life on the line for it. You could certainly verify, you could look into things. Uh, there are certainly levels of kashrut that are more reliable than others, but to just simply say nobody's kosher, uh, unless you're living off of air, man, or vegetables and, and fruits, uh, you simply cannot live. Uh, in fact, even the things that people think don't need kashrut, need kashrut. Why? Because the, uh, the advancement in technology that has allowed us to, uh, to preserve food for much longer comes at a price. You know, you could have certain things that, you know, will last in, in one uh, place, will last uh, a few days to a week before they go bad, and you could have literally the same exact product last for months because of preservatives. Now, you can't tell me that, uh, that this is not something that doesn't require some type of oversight. But yet, the, uh, you rely on that oversight, but you don't rely on the oversight that is much easier to do, which is the kashrut of meat. It's much easier to oversee kosher meat or kosher chicken than to oversee the kosher factories that produce all of these, uh, all of these other products. So it's important for a person to know that uh, if there is a reliable kosher institution behind it, uh, certainly you can and should rely on it. If it's an unknown institution or it's known to be unreliable, then you shouldn't eat from there. Uh, but, uh, but to just simply say a blanket statement that everyone is not kosher is wrong. It's simply wrong. Uh, it's, it's, it's against the Torah. And whoever said it is not only sadly mistaken, but they're causing other people uh, to, uh, to make that same mistake. And uh, I, I know uh, several people that uh, have uh, made extreme decisions uh, where they heard a uh, famous speaker's say such things, oh, you can't rely on the kashrut, they're torturing the chickens, they're torturing the, uh, the cows, uh, they're, uh, you know, they're, uh, you know, there's no way that they could slaughter, you know, 500 uh, chickens in such a short period of time. One thing that most people don't realize is that not a single one of these speakers that speak uh, about kashrut are experts in kashrut. They may know some things about kashrut, but they didn't work in kashrut for 20, 30, 40 years. Well, I spoke to experts. I spoke to the top experts in the field when I looked into the issue myself. I spoke to Rav Zev, Rav Aaron Zev, who himself was a world-renowned expert butcher that he slaughtered countless animals, you know, cows, uh, sheep, chickens, in Argentina, in Uruguay, in Brazil, uh, literally, he was so good at it 
that they literally would, would ask him to come to different places around the world. And I spoke to him about it. And he said, the things that people are saying is complete nonsense. He says, they don't realize that once you become an expert in, let's say, for example, slaughtering chickens, you're the, you don't need as much time to, to know to slaughter a chicken like a regular person does, like they think you do. You could literally become like a machine and slaughter hundreds of chickens in a very short period of time, and every one of them is kosher. Without a doubt. Why? Because you not only get know the laws, but you're also your your body itself moves in a certain fashion and it gets used to that type of movement. It's very, very difficult, but nonetheless, he says it's it's they think that because they can't slaughter or they can't think of someone slaughtering a certain amount of chickens at a certain amount of time, therefore nobody can. They don't realize that. there's muscle memory and you certainly can also there are certain places around the world that have better quality meat than others because of the uh, of the of the weather because of the surroundings this is uh you know so so it also makes uh the the animal uh less problematic as far as kasut you know where you know this is why for example there's a lot of the uh uh, the best places to get uh, uh, or that they grow, the, uh, the, they breed the animals, Argentina, Uruguay. These are places that are perfect for raising cattle uh, versus, let's say, places like America or, or Israel or, or other places. The weather, the atmosphere, the, the, uh, the place itself is much better. So many times when these few speakers... Uh, you know, are, are saying things like that, they're not familiar with a lot of this stuff. They may know certain laws, but they've never actually practiced being a butcher. And therefore, a lot of the things that they're concluding is not based on experience in the field coincided with knowledge of the law, but rather knowledge of the law and inexperience in the field. So one of the, one of the experts that I spoke to is Rabbi Aaron Zev. Another one is Rav Gidon ben Moshe, one of the Gdolei Israel, one of the uh, uh, world-renowned uh, experts in the field of kashrut. Uh, there is uh, literally extensive knowledge that he has uh, beyond this, you know, the, our comprehension even about this particular field, and of course many others. But he's this is one of his areas of expertise. Uh, and uh, we've learned, Baruch Hashem, we've learned from Ephraim, Rav Ephraim from him, we've learned directly from him about certain things in regards to Kashrut, and again, both experts uh, have said that this type of stuff is complete nonsense. To say that everyone that's slaughtering cows or, or, or chickens is uh, it's not kosher and they're selling the world taref, it's complete shemra, sin, nonsense, you can't rely on it, you can't even believe it. It's forbidden to believe it. Now, does that mean that you should buy meat from everybody? No. Does that mean you should believe everybody? No. Does that mean that you shouldn't check? You should. You should check. But also know that you are limited with your knowledge. You know, it's, it's a, the, the average person, the most amount of knowledge they have is how the kosher symbol looks like. That's really the most they have. They don't really know what it means. They don't really understand what chalak bet Yosef means. They don't really know the difference between chalak and glat. They don't really understand the difference between. They just hear people say things. They hear people say things. So, 
We actually have a lecture, we've spoke about this and, and explained different things, different laws of, of kashut that the average person does not understand. Uh, but, uh, but we explained it in a fashion that people can understand it. I can tell you this, I eat meat, Rav Ephraim eats meat, uh, you know, uh, Rav Sharvit uh, eats meat. Uh, you know, I, it's, uh, I, I don't know anybody that uh, uh, is, is a Talmud Chacham who does not eat meat because of kashut. They may, some people may not eat meat because of preference, but not because of kashut. Now again, if a person has the means to have a, uh, a, a private slaughter, meaning you can get the cow, you can get the chickens, you can get whatever animal you have, and you could also get a, uh, an expert to come and slaughter the animal for you, that's great. The only problem with that type of equation is that unless you are a Torah scholar yourself, you're not going to know if it's kosher anyway, any more than what you can buy in a store. Because if he slaughters the cow, you don't have the knowledge, and the average person doesn't have the knowledge, unless he's learned in, 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 in this field an uh, extensive amount of, uh, of actually seeing slaughtering and knowing the difference, how to check the lungs, how to, how to actually slaughter, doing all of these different things, how to salt the meat. So even if somebody has a lot of money and they get themselves uh, you know, a whole slew of cows, they get a farm to become their backyard, and they have somebody say, I'm going to be your butcher. I'm going to be your private butcher. Whenever you want to eat steaks, I'm here. Great. Reality is you still don't have the ability to know whether he's doing the right job or the wrong job. You have no concept. Why? Because you can't. You don't have the knowledge. Which means that whether you have the means to get private slaughter or uh, you don't, you're still going to rely on somebody. You're still going to rely on somebody telling you the truth. So what's the difference between the guy that's working for you privately, which 99% of society cannot afford, or buying it from a store where there is a kosher body that is subject to laws and regulations, not just alacha, but actual legal laws and regulations. What's the difference? You have to rely on somebody. And you can't say, oh, okay, you know what? So I'm just not going to eat meat. You can't do that either. Number one, it's certainly not, not the healthiest thing in the world to do. So, you know, especially, you know, there's, there's holidays where you have to eat meat. It's part of the holiday and so on. But aside from that, even if you say you don't want to eat meat, don't not eat meat because of kashrut. Why? Because either way you have to rely on the kashrut organizations that are providing you all of the food that you eat that's not meat. Everything that has a kosher symbol on it, where do you think that kosher symbol is on it just falls from the sky and just appears in the box? You have to rely on the kashrut of Coca-Cola. If you drink Coca-Cola, you have to rely on the kashrut of your cereal box. If you eat cereal, you have to rely on the kashrut of everything. And you can say, no, no, but it's not the same. It is the same. If this is poison, that's poison. If this is allowed, that's allowed. In fact, like I said, many have told me that are experts in the field much more than I, I even, even telling you. Tell me that, honestly, it's more difficult to supervise the stuff that you see in a supermarket than the stuff that you see in a, in a kosher butcher shop. Much more difficult to supervise. So people make a big stink about this whole kashrut of meat and they make a lot of mistakes by following this 
And I can tell you for sure, if you're not eating meat because you believe these rabbis that are telling you that nobody is kosher, you are making a sin. You are believing Shemra and you are making a sin. And you'll have to go to Genom for it. So if you're not eating meat because you simply don't like meat, different story. Different story. But if you're not eating meat because of you think nobody's kosher, that means you don't believe G'dolei Yisrael. You don't, believe, you don't believe the Rishon Letzion, you don't believe the Dayanim, you don't believe, in so many words, you don't believe that any Jew in the world is kosher aside from you and the rabbi that you, that you heard this from. And if you two are the only kosher people in the world, I have two questions for you. Number one, why isn't Hashem destroying the whole world? Because we're, we're supposed to have at least 36 tzaddikim, and apparently there's only two. Number two, why are you listening to my shoe? If I'm a rasha also, because I eat meat, then why are you listening to me? Sure, you're not allowed to listen to me. The Gemara says, Masechet Moed Katan, now listen to, you're not allowed to listen to Rashaim. I eat meat, so that makes me a rasha. No, so that's the thing. People don't do the calculations when they say these statements. And a lot of these people that are saying this, unfortunately, most of them are young people, uh, but they're listening to mainly one or two uh famous speakers in the hebrew language that have made a big stink about this but i can tell you that none of gdolei israel have supported them about this none not even not nothing no one no big uh has supported them in this regards they may have supported them in other things they may have uh even uh uh you know gave them uh, letters of recommendation about other things but not in regards to this why? Because this is literally saying that the entire Jewish world, there is no righteous people among us. Everyone is a liar. Everyone is evil. And that you're simply not allowed to do. Unless you know for sure. And you don't. Neither do they. Nobody knows. You don't know what, what's happening behind closed doors. And again, it's not a livable type of circumstance. Hashem does not give us tests that we can't pass. So finally, a person could go back and eat meat or at the very least know that they're going to go to Genom for sure for believing Shemra. So it doesn't matter that they're keeping Shabbat or they learn Torah. They'll know they're going to Genom for a certain amount of time for believing Shemra. Whichever one a person wants to do, at least they go there knowingly. And they can't say, oh no, but the, I believe the rabbi. You just heard it otherwise. That you're making a mistake. Now you could check further uh, if you want a third opinion. But I would recommend going to Gdolei Adol. And uh, I, I already did the job for you. None of them are going to agree with this. None of them are going to agree that uh, you're not allowed to eat kosher food. So don't uh, fall for the trap. Uh, let's see. Let's see. During your time on Wall Street, is there such a thing as a humble wealthy individual uh yeah of course there's uh there are humble wealthy individuals wealth does not necessarily make a person uh arrogant it's their perception of wealth that uh before they even have money that uh is going to make a person arrogant i i've met many of many people that were broker than than than, than anything they were arrogant even though they had nothing to be arrogant about they weren't exceptionally smart they weren't exceptionally wealthy they weren't exceptionally talented but they were just arrogant people 
Uh, and uh, I've met, uh, you know, some people that were not arrogant. Uh, so wealth does not make a person arrogant. It's uh, character flaws are developed before a person acquires money. Certainly wealth uh, can lead to a person becoming arrogant, uh, you know, but uh, it doesn't start from scratch, meaning they were already arrogant. It's just that the wealth, you know, made it, made it worse. It's uh, they were already spiritually sick and the wealth was uh, more poison to make them sicker. But it's not, uh, it's, it's, it's never the only thing. It's usually something that, uh, uh, that happened beforehand. Thoughts on day trading and drop shipping. Uh, day trading, if you're doing it as a profession... <laughs> meaning you're trading for other people and earning a fee or you actually have a strategy rather than 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 wishful thinking you can make uh uh you know you can make it a uh, job it's allowed as a job uh it's just that it is a fool's errand uh the overwhelming majority of traders ultimately lose a lot more than they win uh because uh trading in the market even world experts in finances that run major hedge funds uh all know that it's better to simply invest uh in just the s p 500 over a long period of time and you'll make a lot more than traders do now there are some exceptions to the uh to the uh uh to to the case but they're so few and far in between that uh it's it's like a statistical anomaly to be a successful trader if it's just trading your own money you know, the people that have succeeded in trading are uh, like uh, Simons that had a hedge fund that was averaging 60% a year for, I think, 20 years or something like that. Uh, uh, Cohen uh, that eventually got, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, his hedge fund shut down because of insider trading, but he was an exceptional trader. Uh, and uh, now he has a family office. Um, you know, and there's a couple of others that were good traders, but, uh, these are people that were, uh, you know, there, there were superstars of superstars. The average person is, uh, is, is nowhere near, uh, doesn't have the tools that they do. And it's, you know, the chances of you succeeding in trading, uh, are very limited. Plus it's not exactly the most ideal job because it's consuming. It consumes a lot of your time. It makes it very difficult to study Torah. It makes it very difficult to live a normal life. Uh, you know, it's very high highs and low lows. So it's not really a healthy job. Can you do it? You can technically, but it's a, uh, it could be problematic, especially if you don't actually have a strategy and you're just pretty much wishful thinking type of trading. You would just assume that just because the stock went up a dollar yesterday, it's more likely to go down today. And you just assume that just because the stock has, has the momentum uh, in the last five days, the momentum should continue. Uh, it's not really a strategy. Uh, and uh, that's, that makes it more likely that you'll end up losing all your money. And it also makes it more like gambling, which goes into the field of possibly forbidden. Uh, possibly forbidden. Uh, gambling in itself is always forbidden, but uh, possible gambling is, uh, you know, it depends, has to be evaluated. But generally speaking, I mean, I was on Wall Street for almost 20 years. Uh, I didn't meet many successful traders. Uh, investors, yes. Traders, no. Traders, no. 
as far as drop shipping, drop shipping is a completely different uh, field. Drop shipping is an actual business. Uh, if you are good at finding products and you, uh, uh, you know, it's a, uh, or, or you are at the very least have some type of access to products, it's certainly something you can make a living off of. Uh, takes time, takes a, uh, uh, you know, takes some uh, capital, but uh, it's certainly something that, uh, you know, you can make a living on. A lot of people are making a living and even more than just a living off of it. Uh, all this stuff that people say about, oh, you know, drop shipping is no more, no, no good anymore, or this is no good anymore, that people used to make money out of it. That's all nonsense. Don't ever believe people that say that uh, there's no way to make money in any particular field. There are people that are making millions with dog food, and there are people losing millions with uh, the money business. And there are people that are doing the exact opposite in both. They're losing millions in some and making millions in some, meaning that HaKadosh Baruch decides uh, who's going to succeed and who's going to fail. But as far as the... Uh, um, the, the the viability of the business itself, whether it be drop shipping or it's a uh, um, uh, giving consulting work or it's working for Fortune 500 companies and building yourself way your your way up over the next 30 years, or it's providing uh, you know any type of expertise, you can make money in almost anything. You can make money in almost anything. Uh, how much money you're gonna make that Hashem decides. But as far as the viability of the businesses, there are more opportunities that are viable today than, uh, than uh, any other time in history just because of the, expend, uh, the expense in technology as well as in the consumer base. Meaning that there are more uh, possibilities of things to do because there's more demand for different things, but also there's more customers today. Uh, not because there's more population, but rather because there is worldwide trade this worldwide trade you can sell to a customer in china uh you know in, in a matter of five minutes and he can sell you in a matter of five minutes uh you couldn't do that you know a uh, hundred years ago without traveling there or them traveling here now it's just a click of a button so there's more consumers the the consumer base is continuing to grow as more and more uh economies join the uh the uh the worldwide economy and, uh, and, and or at least give access to their economy, meaning that you can go and travel to some of these uh, uh, countries like India or, uh, um, or different parts of Asia uh, that, uh, and actually uh, do business there or bring the business back to wherever you live and actually make a good living from that. Point being is, you can make money from li- working at home, you can make money by traveling, you can make money selling jets, you can make money uh, selling uh, nets. You could make money in a lot of different things. How much money are you going to make? That Hashem decides. But as far as viability of the business, there are uh, endless amount of opportunities out there. Uh, my recommendation is not necessarily to go where you like. Like a lot of people recommend, go do what you love. I don't necessarily think that uh, you need to love your job. I need, you just need to uh, not hate it and do something that's going to be the most profitable. Not hate it and do something that's most profitable. Doing what you love doesn't necessarily mean profitable. Doing what you love can mean going bankrupt. Doing what you love sometimes in business is the worst thing in the world. Why? Because sometimes you'll go bankrupt because you love it. So uh, don't do what you love. Do what you don't necessarily hate and is the most profitable. The best use of time. The best use of time, uh, uh, you know, and, uh, and gives you uh, the, uh, the most amount of freedom of time when possible. 
that's 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 what you need in a uh, and, and a viable business a viable business uh you don't necessarily need to love it i think people say that you need to love your job is stupid they're, they're just uh, it's just a stupid thing to say uh should a person go to college to be successful uh nowadays many professions require a degree it's not true at all there are many professions that always required a degree but that's there's nothing that's uh there's no more today than there was in the past in fact it's the opposite there's less uh there's less need for degree today than any other time in history there are endless amount of people that are making a fortune uh by uh creating applications uh having uh, all types of entertainment or media types of uh things on youtube and tick tock and all of this uh social networking um there are over five hundred and fifty thousand people in the world today that are worth over 30 million dollars which is considered ultra high net worth uh there are extraordinarily wealthy people in the world and i promise you the uh there's more of them that do not have a degree than there are those that do have a degree now is getting a degree necessary depends on what field you need to go to if you're going to go into the medical accounting uh legal professions that require a degree then it's a uh it's a you know it's a rhetorical question but if you're talking about fields that uh, you could actually learn uh the skill set either through experience or through uh uh professional schools that are not necessarily universities you can go to a uh you know some type of uh, school that teaches that expertise or course uh then uh then uh it's definitely better to do that than to go and waste a quarter million dollars on university and uh four to eight years of your life uh when you could do all of that in a matter of six months to a year if not less uh i personally think that uh, the vast majority of people attending college are wasting their money and by vast majority i mean literally a va- overwhelming vast majority uh let's see Shalom Rabbi, I hear that each part of our body have a correspondence with a specific sefirah. Uh, in the case that someone has an issue, why isn't this thing working? With the cervical, what would be the sefirah on how to fix it in order to heal? I'm not a Kabbalist, so I don't, uh, I don't know the uh, corresponding uh body parts to this filot sorry you have to go to a kabbalist uh and uh perhaps they could help you uh can a person who suffers with a lot of pain use cannabis in order to release the pain uh yes but you could uh it's better to use uh uh something that's not going to make you uh high uh some people have recommended uh, uh what is it called cbd because uh, it doesn't make you high other research uh, that some people have told me about i haven't read it myself i've said that cbd is uh is 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 worse in certain ways than actually the part that makes you high again i can't vouch for either one uh but if it's the only thing that uh, can help you with pain uh is cannabis uh that makes you high uh you're allowed to use it but if there is something else uh that you can use that does not make you high then you're obligated to use something that does not make you high
Can a holy person be someone who doesn't care about money, renounce money, live simply, or someone who gives, who gains a lot of money in order to help others or both? A holy person can be someone extremely wealthy, like Rabbi Udana Si and Rabbi Akiva, and a holy person can be somebody extraordinarily poor, like uh, Rabbi Hanina. Uh, you know, the money is not going to be the deciding factor if somebody is holy or not, their actions are their perspective of money is, uh, is, is going to decide whether they're holy or not. Uh, let's see. What is worse according to the Tawain society? Immodest acts and behavior or LGBT degeneracy? They're both the same. They're both considered immodesty and perversion. Uh, good evening, Rabbi Ruven. What would you suggest for an incoming yeshiva bachu going to, from public school to a yeshiva as a new convert? What would I suggest for an incoming yeshiva bachu going from public school to a yeshiva as a new convert? Uh, what would I suggest for them as far as what? As far as what to learn? Uh, well, first, obviously, uh, they should, uh, can, you know, learn uh, the uh, things that, that helped them thus far, uh, which is the uh, alacha of day-to-day life, uh, the musar, uh, the weekly parasha. These are all things the person has to continue with their whole life. Uh, as far as further uh, learning, uh, it all depends on the type of yeshiva they're going to go to. Uh, usually the yeshiva is going to keep them pretty occupied uh, with, uh, you know, with Gemara. Uh, and my recommendation is that uh, they get themselves uh, a art scroll Gemara, uh, uh, you know, at first, uh, that they're also going to learn with and do the review when they're home. Because not all yeshivot are going to permit uh, him to use uh, a uh, art scroll Gemara uh, at the yeshiva um, because they want him to learn the language and they want him to learn uh, certain th- how to uh, understand the Gemara rather than uh, the uh, explanation of certain things by art scroll. Uh, so they don't want people to use it, even though it's a mistake, even though it's against what Gdullah Adolaf said. Needless to say, the tradition is for most places that they don't allow art scroll. So, but I would still recommend that he gets art scroll and just simply uses it at home. Uh, uses it at home. But uh, as far as if the uh, yeshiva allows him to have art scroll, then he should definitely have art scroll. And like I said, continue learning the things that have helped him thus far, which is the basics of Judaism, which is the weekly parasha with commentary, Musar, Alacha. Uh, certainly you can watch uh, all of our shuim uh, to learn uh, um, you know, Musar, to learn the weekly parasha, sometimes Alacha as well. So you can watch our shuim as well to do that. Okay, let's see.
Okay, let me see if there's any more. Alright. Is a man allowed to wear cologne for uh, Kvod Shabbat? Um, if, if, a per, if a man wears uh, a uh, deodorant, it's already enough. If he wants to wear a little bit of cologne, you know, it's, it's okay, but it's a... Uh, uh, before Shabbat, obviously. And um, I, uh, honestly, it's, I, I don't really uh, understand why guys think that they need cologne um, for any reason. Number one, uh, it's a... Um, uh, many times people overdo it, and they become uh, more of a uh, problem for people around them uh, than, uh, than a pleasure. Uh, number two, if a person is doing it for the sake of being attractive, uh, you should know, scientifically speaking, that uh, your, uh, your uh, sweat is actually more attractive than cologne to, to a woman. Uh, meaning even the, 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 the bad sweat, the, the one that smells bad, is more attractive to a woman, uh, not because people enjoy bad smells. Scientifically speaking, they've proven this. That uh, that the uh, the smell of the man uh, of his original smell is more attractive to his wife uh, than than uh, you know than um, than any cologne out there. So uh, you know again, I mean it's uh, it's just it's not necessary. You want to do it, put something before Shabbat by all means, but it's uh, just don't put too much. How should I maintain my relationship with my parents now um, as I'm getting older? And um, If the person is a uh, Jew, you know, honoring your parents is an obligation from a Torah, but honoring your parents doesn't mean sacrifice your life and uh, destroy your marriage or not get married. Uh, you know, you have to, uh, you know, honor your parents based on what the laws of a Torah. If they ask you to, to help them with something uh, that's within your ability to do it, by all means. There's no obligation to give them your money, uh, you know, but if they're poor and you're rich, then certainly you should help them. Um, but uh, as far as spending time with them, uh, it's again, it's a uh, within reason, as long as it does not cause you problems with Shlombayit and it does not cause you to go against the sham in any way, uh, that's, uh, you know, and certainly a person should honor their parents, uh, should uh, stay in touch with their parents, and, uh, you know, call them at least once a week, uh, say hello, uh, but it's, you know, if you live uh, far away from them, it's not possible to go visit them regularly if you have a life, if you have a, uh, kids, you have a career, it's not possible to go visit them every week. Now, if they live close to you and you have a good relationship with them, you want to go visit them uh, once a week, twice a week, by all means, you can. But if they cause you problems every time you see them, then obviously that's, you know, it's better for you to move away. Uh, now, for, for non-Jews that are converting uh, to Judaism or, uh, or just converted already to Judaism, 
it's a little bit more problematic because many times the parents are uh, still believe the uh, the religion uh, that they grew up with, meaning that uh, while you have adopted, uh, you know, and have acquired yourself in eternity uh, by converting to Judaism and following the Torah, they unfortunately still believe, believe idolatry. Now, the fact that they believe idolatry is not just a problem for them, but it could also be a problem for you if they try to preach it to you. Uh, so going to visit them is much more problematic, meaning that if you go visit them, you know, you have to stay at a hotel. Uh, you can't eat their food. Uh, you have to make sure that there's kosher restaurants uh, around. Uh, there are certain, a lot of things that you can't do that they like to do. They maybe like to go to the beach. You can't go to the beach. Uh, that's you know full of perversion and so on. They like to go to the movies. You can't go to the movies right? because it's also full of perversion. Uh, they like to have a barbecue and roast a pig. You can't roast a pig. So there's a lot of things that you can't do. There are certain things that you can do and you have to find some type of neutral thing, uh, neutral ground uh, to, uh, to, to keep yourself uh, uh, somewhat connected. But I can tell you this from experience that uh, the more a person is, uh, you know, busy serving Hashem, uh, the less time they're going to have uh, for everybody uh, that is not in their immediate circle of responsibility, of connection, such as your spouse and your children. Uh, you know, so that there's less time to see even, you know, your parents, even if they're good parents. There's less time to have friends, even if they're good friends. There's just simply less time. Why? Because you're busy serving Hashem. You're busy doing the things that you need to do in life. Uh, now, I know some people are more social than others. They almost feel like they need to be next to people. And by all means, as long as the people that you're around, whether it be your parents that are Jewish or not Jewish, uh, you know, as long as they are not trying to influence you to go against Hashem uh, or they're, they're not uh, just simply putting you in a position where you feel inclined to go against Hashem more than, than otherwise because of their surroundings, then there's no problem staying in touch. But don't stop your life. Don't stop your life. Don't stop yourself from getting married. Don't stop yourself from having kids. Don't stop your life from, from uh, moving closer to a Jewish community, uh, from going to learn Torah, just because you think that you're honoring your parents by uh, keeping yourself back. Uh, you're not honoring your parents by that. You're just simply damaging yourself. You know, so a, uh, a person needs to uh, serve Hashem first more than anything else. Serving Hashem certainly is uh, part of doing it is also honoring your parents, but that means so long as honoring your parents is not uh, causing a lack in serving Hashem. You know, you not getting married is certainly a lack in serving Hashem because you have a mitzvah, uh, especially if you're a man uh, that's connected to serving Hashem. Uh, you know, bringing children to the world, uh, the kedusha between a husband and a wife, and so on. Uh, so you're not getting married because of uh, husband, uh, because of uh, a uh, parents are old, and you think you need to take care of them or something like that. No, uh, you are not having kids because uh, you feel like you need to take care of your parents, and uh, you're you know you you don't think that you could do that. Uh, with be raise kids with your husband and also take care of your parents so you decide not to have kids mistake mistake that's not the will of Hashem will of Hashem is for you to have kids will of Hashem is for you to have kids who's going to take care of my parents if you could still do it do it if not get somebody else to do it get somebody else to do it again there's no there's no uh obligation to stop your life in order to to, to uh you know in order to help your parents I mean certainly honoring them is important but 
It's not at the cost of your life. It's not the cost of, of, of your obligation. Uh, so I would highly recommend people to uh, discuss with their rabbis uh, you know, big decisions like that, either, you know, decisions like not getting married, not having kids, not moving closer to a Jewish community or, 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 or learning Torah uh, before they make such decisions and, and speak to a competent rabbi, not, not one of these people that's like, you know, waiting for your parents to die so they could give them the money uh, of the inheritance. You know, like a competent rabbi that knows Allah and knows, knows what's responsible, uh, has a responsible take on Judaism and not just a uh, lovey-dovey nonsense. Uh, but like I said, you know, in uh, honoring your parents, important, stopping your life, unacceptable. Okay. Can a non-Jew kid that is in the process of conversion do a bar mitzvah? I don't understand the question. I mean, a bar mitzvah means you're accepting the mitzvot on you. If the person is not Jewish, he cannot accept the mitzvot upon him. He can't convert himself. So, if if they understand what bar mitzvah means, bar mitzvah means you become an owner of the mitzvot. You're taking the mitzvot upon yourself. But you can't as long as you're not Jewish. So, uh, I mean, if they want to have a party and just feed a bunch of strangers... And, and get some guy with a, uh, I don't know, a uh, Harley Davidson to, to drive in, you know, they, they don't have to call it bar mitzvah, they just call it a party. But if they want to do a bar mitzvah, they have to be Jewish. Uh, at the very least, they need to know what, what a bar mitzvah is. But not, not, uh, uh, not, not just to create things just because they, they want to feel Jewish. Many people do that and it creates problems. Uh, people that are in the process of conversion get so acclimated to the Jewish life that they lose momentum when it comes to actually converting, which ends up causing them to uh, um, take longer for conversion. They don't have as much enthusiasm because they already feel Jewish. It's a mistake that a lot of people make. Uh, you know, they already go to synagogue, they already pray, they already, you know, go to Shuim. So they feel like, ah, so what? Okay, I don't have the certificate, but I already feel like my neshama is Jewish. Like, you know, it's a stupid statements like that that cause people to end up losing their eternity. But a lot of people do it. So uh, I, I always tell people, if you're in a process of conversion, do everything you possibly can to keep yourself uncomfortable until you convert. To, until you convert. You know, make sure that you're doing everything possible to keep yourself enthusiastic about conversion. Now, it's more problematic to do that when you have a family involved. Meaning, if you're alone, you're a single guy, you're a single girl, it's easier to keep yourself motivated and to take less time converting because all you have to do is just take care of yourself. But when you have a family involved, even if you're extremely motivated, if your spouse or kids are not motivated, it's, it becomes much, much more difficult. Uh, the journey much, is much more difficult, but uh, generally speaking, there's no need for a person to break up their family for the sake of conversion. Uh, they just need to be patient. Uh, and use that time while everybody else is getting up to speed, use that time to keep everybody motivated uh, and use that time to learn more and do more that they can that's within their power uh, at the time while they're still in the process of conversion. Okay, let's see. I think we've answered all the questions today. Yeah, okay. 
Baruch Hashem, we've answered all the questions. May Hashem bless each and every single one of you that's learning, that's sharing, that's being inspired. Anyone that wants to donate can go to our website, bezatashem.org or bhtorah.org, or you could donate on our app, the Bezatashem app. There's a lot of new developments on the BH Torah website uh, that uh, are, uh, are being added as we speak. If you go to the questions section, you go to the discover section, there's a lot of amazing new features over there. We're going to talk more extensively about them next week, Bezal Hashem, but there's a lot of really cool stuff on our websites, uh, new features, uh, and uh, a lot more uh, projects that are on the way that Bezal Hashem will help Am Yisrael get closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to publicize HaKadosh Baruch Hu's name and uh, know that he is the one and only God, not only in our eyes, but in the eyes of everyone that we have access to because we've tried our best to inspire them. Thank you very much for learning with me. May HaKadosh Baruch Hu bless all of you. We'll see each other and learn together next week. Call to. asked him what can we do to protect ourselves from Chavrei Mashiach. He says, Torah and Gminut Chasadim. Even if somebody does a, a nice thing or learns a lot or anything like that, it's never compared to bringing one of Hashem's lost kids that's been lost for the last 3,000 years back home. One of the beautiful things that we have in our organization is that we have both Torah and Zikri Rabin because we have our Kolels, we have our Avrachim, and we also have our cube that we do around the world. Our lectures reach every corner of the world, Baruch Hashem, in multiple languages, but of course, we always want to do even more. while we have Kiruv work that we've done throughout the whole year, we also have the Torah that we're constantly producing more and more of, and last but not least, the uh, Chesed to feed the poor people in Israel. A very special thank you to all our amazing guests who show real Avat Yisrael by taking the time out of their busy schedule and sharing their ups and downs with us, all for the sake of Avat Yisrael. Yirgun Be'ezrat Hashem, Olech Lechalek, Me'ot Salem Mazon, 
בכל רחבי הארץ. One of the big things that we have, aside from this campaign, you probably see this post or something similar to it, is also we published some of the recent results that we have, or at least up to now, of the organization. And one of the reasons why we do this each year is because we want to make sure that our partners, our donors, our Talmidin, know where their money is going. Unlike everybody else that, you know, uh, says a lot, does a lot, we want to show you what these results are. I can tell you from my experience and a little bit of knowledge about the whole Torah world, I don't know of anybody else, uh, any other organization on planet Earth that produces dollar for dollar what we produce over these last few years. This is nothing to be arrogant about. It's simply Siyat Bishmaya Kadosh Baruch who helped us. We made every sacrifice that we can possibly make in order to, ha- to make it happen. Producing nearly 300 films, publishing 32 books, our own books, giving out 154,000 books for free. Giving out 154,000 books is not a cheap endeavor. Anyone that wants to do such a thing has to be completely committed to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to his children, and most importantly, to have bitachon in HaKadosh Baruch Hu and his Torah. We also have fed over 160,000 people over these last several years. Each year, during Pesach, the high holidays, throughout the year, we help a lot of people eat, help make sure that they have groceries, food, all types of things, and uh, you guys have seen many of the videos that are uh, that we've produced over the years to actually show you the people that are getting this food. You have here 160,000 people have eaten, nearly 300 Torah films, and then on top of all of it, we have 1.4 million USB CDs and cars that have been giving out for free. All of the work that we've done over the last 10 years on these USBs given out for free. Last but not least, 12,000 video and audio lectures available online in about 14 different languages for the world to watch for free. <laughs> ארגון בעזרת השם לקח על עצמו את אחת המטרות הקשות ביותר בדור שלנו לתקן עולם במלכות שדי לא להסתפק במשהו אחד לעזור רק לאנשים מסכנים רק לאנשים ניצולי שואה רק לאנשים שלא מכירים את אלוקים רק לאנשים שאין להם כלום בבית אלא לעזור לכלל ישראל בכל מכל ברוך השם, חפץ השם בידינו הצליח למעלה ממיליון יהודים ויהודיות נעזרו על ידי ארגונים בעזרת השם. רק תדמיינו לכם איזה עוצמה היה לכל אחד ואחת מהשותפים שזכו להיות כל אחד כפי כוחו ויכולתו, לאיזה תוצאות הצליחו להגיע ולאיזה תוצאות עוד יצליחו. פורים שמח על לראות את השלטים, נעלה עכשיו למעלה, כמו קצת האש, את הלימוד. ברוכים הבאים, אפשר לראות כאן. כולם יושבים לומדים, איזה רעש של תורה, איזה רעש, איזה רעש, והנה יש פה עוד בית מדרש. וגם פה יש, השם הכל עמוס. הדמיון הזה הוא לא דמיון כל כך רחוק, כי כמו שהתורה אומרת, בפיך ובלבבך לעשותו, ככה גם בדבר הזה. כל מי שירצה, כל מי שרוצה או רוצה להיות שותפים איתנו, עם הארגון הקדוש והנפלא הזה, שכל כוונתו לשם שמיים, להגדיל תורה ולהדירה, להרים קרן התורה, לעזור לכל אחד ואחד מעם ישראל, בכל העניינים. כל המישורים, מהילד הכי קטן שצריך מתנה וטיטולים, עד האיש הכי 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 מבוגר 
שלעולם לא הניח תפילין, ורגע לפני המוות דואגים להניח לו תפילין. אם גם אתם רוצים להיות שותפים בכאלה דברים גדולים, בעשייה של תורה ועבודה וגמול חסדים, ברוך השם, ארגון בעזרת השם, כאן, לצדכם, לשירותכם, יחד עם כלל ישראל. כמעט מיליון וחצי דיסקים, דיסקונקים, שחילקנו, כל הדברים האלה בחינם, יותר מ-12 אלף שיעורים, אז כל הדברים האלה, מתי שבן אדם רואה כמה ההשקעה שלו, אם זה בבתים, מניות, בכל מיני דברים, והוא רואה שהמניה עלתה 10% במקום אחד, ו-1,000% במקום שני, אז הוא מבין איפה להשקיע פעם הבאה. ואותו דבר פה, יש הרבה אנשים שברוך השם צופים את השיעורים שלנו, שיעורים של הרב אפרים, שיעורים של הרב שרביט, ושאר הרבנים בארגון, ועכשיו זה הזמן להיות שותפים בדבר הגדול שאנחנו עושים ברוך השם. One of the reasons why we do this, why we show these numbers, is because we want to show everyone what we've done to give you an indication. an indication of what we can do in the future. So this is the time where we need as much of your help as possible to push yourself more than you typically do. If you typically donate a couple hundred dollars, donate a thousand. If you, uh, if you can afford uh, the uh, uh, $8,000, $15,000, $50,000, whatever you can afford, this is the time to do it because this is going to be the help that we have to help all of these Avachim, to feed these people and perhaps Bezal Hashem one day to get that building that we've been uh, wanting to, uh, to build here in, uh, in the United States to build a community. But the, all of these things require millions of dollars. If not now, then when?